0: Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. I'll tell you the title a little later and you'll see why. But we want to look a little closer at uh, Christ and particularly uh, what that has to do with us today practically. And uh, the reason why he had to leave, as he told his disciples, and uh, what his work entails right now for us. And of course, this will impact also on our uh, understanding of the Holy Spirit a little bit as well, as, as we shall see, because we want to take what we're talking about a little bit to the next level and just look at it practically. You know, what we're talking about is uh, has impact on, on a whole heap of other truths. And one particular very important truth is uh, righteousness by faith. And a correct practical understanding of righteousness by faith is actually dependent on our understanding of who God is, of who Christ is, and the identity of the Spirit. Hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that as we go along today and in the next few sessions. But when Christ was going to depart, he made a very interesting promise to his disciples. We find it in, uh, in John chapter 16. So let's turn there. John chapter 16. And this promise, of course, was the promise of the Spirit. But the words that Jesus used are of significance. John chapter 16, verse 7. John 16, 7. The Bible here says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him... Unto you. Of course, the comforter here that Christ was talking about is none other than the Holy Spirit. He says that a few chapters earlier. Christ had to go away before this comforter could come. In other words, so long as Christ remained on earth, this comforter, this Holy Spirit, could not come. Correct? Have you ever wondered about why? Why is it actually, the words that Christ used are very significant. He says, it's expedient for you. It's necessary. It's for your own benefit that I leave. This was bad news for the disciples. They were not happy to hear that. But he says, I have to go because if I don't go, this comforter that I promised you will not come. So long as I stay here on earth with you, you will not receive the blessing and the promise of the comforter. But if I go, I will send him unto you that's what he says so there is obviously a very important link here between the departure of Christ and the sending of the comforter or the Holy Spirit and we want to explore this link a little bit why is it that Christ had to go Uh, interestingly enough this is one of the significant proofs that the Holy Spirit cannot be anyone other than Christ because Christ could have easily said come Christ himself had to go before the Holy Spirit could come. And there is a reason for that, because the Holy Spirit is intrinsically tied to the person of Christ. Something had to happen to Christ himself before the Spirit could be sent or could come. That's according to his words, right? We're just analyzing carefully what the text is actually saying. So we want to see that. Why did Christ have to go before the Spirit could come? What is the link? The answer is found in the same gospel, chapter 7. Let's go to John 7. Why did Jesus have to go? What had to happen to Christ before this spirit could be sent, this comforter could come? John 7, verse 38 and 39. Jesus speaking, he says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, Which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. glorified. Mm -hmm. So here it gives us a reason. The reason why the Spirit was not yet given. This comforter. The reason why it's not yet given is why? Christ was not yet glorified. So what Christ was telling his disciples in other words was this. It is expedient for you that I go away and be glorified. glorified, And unless that happens, you will not receive the spirit. But if I go away and am glorified, I will send him straight unto you. The glorification of Christ has to do with the sending of the spirit. That's why it's intrinsically tied to the person of Christ. That's why if it was someone else, Christ could have easily said, come or go down. But no, something had to happen to the Lord himself. And up until that point, according to this verse, it says this spirit was not yet given. This promise that Jesus made here, he that believes on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was talking about something that was not there at that time yet. It was still to come in the future. And the way it's worded here in verse 39 is very interesting. It says, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. So what does that mean? Someone will say, well, hold on a minute. You know, wasn't the Holy Spirit there all the time, always from the beginning? And the answer is yes, of course. There are many references in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, You know, David said in Psalm 51, uh, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So there in the days of David, we see the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean here when it says the Holy Spirit was not yet given? There's a bit of a puzzle here, right? David had it and Moses and all these people in the Old Testament, they were all empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. What is Christ talking about when he says this Spirit was not yet given because Christ was not yet given? Glorified. You see, during the Old Testament age, the patriarchal age, during all these uh, periods in earth's history before the cross, there were very clear and marked influences and manifestations of the working of the Spirit of God. Many, many examples. I, lifted, I listed just a few. But all these were never the manifestation of the Spirit of God in its fullness. And we're going to see that as we go along, but I just want to throw that out there so you can think about it. Christ was talking about the sending of the Spirit in such a way and in such a measure that the previous manifestations and revelations of the Spirit would fade in, in significance. So John records and says, listen, this Spirit that Christ was talking about, that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, what he's talking about has not been given yet. And it would only come when Christ left and was glorified, there is another measure, there is another level, there is a fuller and deeper outpouring of the Spirit that could only happen after Christ was glorified. And the reason we're still asking is, why? Why is this so? You with me so far? And so, we saw the Spirit was operating, but there's something here that has to do with the glorification of Christ. It helps us to understand what is meant when we correctly understand what the Bible teaches the Spirit to be. You see, when we misunderstand the Spirit, to think that the Spirit is a being, we, we told, th- th- these verses don't make any sense. Straight away. This is, what we're talking about here doesn't make any sense, because if, if, if the Spirit is a being and was working in the Old Testament, and then Jesus says, look, I'm going to send him, but this Spirit was not given yet, and it's someone who's already here, it starts becoming very hazy and very confusing. And this is probably why generally people haven't talked about this or considered these verses. You with me? And so the Bible definition for spirit is important for us to understand because it helps us appreciate the words of Christ and therefore the meaning for us today. Because Jesus told the disciples, listen, this is expedient for you. It is for your own good. It's for your benefit that I go away. It's in your interest. Let's go to John 6. We looked at this yesterday. I just want to focus on that a little bit more today. John 6 verse 63. The Gospel of John is uh, we're spending all our time in John so far. It has some beautiful beautiful things in it. John chapter 6 and verse 63. Here Jesus gives us a definition for what spirit means and he says, "It is the spirit that quickeneth." What does that mean, quickeneth? Make alive. Make alive thank you. Or gives life. To quicken is to make alive. It's a spirit that quickeneth. John 6, 63. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And we saw yesterday that when Christ was saying that, he was referring to not his doctrine, but to his person. In other words, the words of Jesus are spirit and life. This tells us straight away that spirit and life are synonymous. It's the same thing. So biblically, spirit means life. And when Christ was talking about sending the Spirit, He's talking about sending life. Now, which life? His life. Because something had to happen to His person to be glorified before this fuller measure of this life could be sent. Correct? Now, what is it that makes the life or the... Do we need to attend to that? Is something going to blow? No? No? Okay. What is it that makes the fuller measure of the Spirit more than before that has to do with the person of Christ? This is the question we want to ask. And we're going to find the answer as we go. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Just a couple more verses to really clarify the, the point we're making here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. We already saw that the Spirit gives life, but here we find that actually Christ was made something First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 45 And here the Bible says and so it is written the first man Adam was made a living soul the last Adam was made a quickening spirit Who is the last Adam Christ What does quickening mean Life-giving. So according to this verse, it tells us that Christ was made what? A life-giving spirit. Did you read that in your Bible? It says Christ is a spirit that gives life. Interesting, huh? That's why when Christ was talking about the sending of the spirit, he's talking about something that had to happen to himself. Because that spirit is none other than his life. And it's when you receive that spirit that you also receive life. Because it's a spirit that gives life. That's why the Bible says, he that has the son hath life. life." Because he is made a life-giving spirit. And that's actually how he comes to us today when we believe. He comes as that life-giving spirit. But before he could come as a life-giving spirit, he had to leave this earth and be glorified before he can give us this extra measure of the spirit what is there that is extra about the spirit we're getting closer to the answer but I want you to keep that question in mind because I want us to appreciate the impact of the words of Christ because it makes a huge difference for us let's go to Romans chapter 8 notice how the scripture brings out this point time and again and this will help us understand what Christ was saying Romans eight ten. it says here and if Christ be in you The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. righteousness. Here's another confirmation for what we're talking about. The spirit, it says here, is what? Is life because of righteousness. And that happens only if who is in you? Christ is in you. So when you have Christ in you, you have the spirit, which is life. And Christ was made a life-giving Spirit, but Christ cannot come in that capacity until he first went back to heaven and was glorified. And this is why he was trying to tell his disciples, listen, I have such amazing plans for you with this coming of the comforter, with the sending of the spirit, but I need to go away first. And then I will send him. And so this is none other than Christ himself. in a glorified manner. This issue or this, this uh, desire was, was high on, on, on Christ's mind. We see that because in the, in the prayer, he prayed to his father in John 17, he actually requests that. Let's go back there, John chapter 17 and see how important this was for Christ because he specifically asked his father about it. John 17 and verse five. It says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the, sorry, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What's Christ asking for? He's asking for glory or to be glorified. We know what that means now. It's not just something, uh, give me this because I've accomplished the mission. He's asking because in his glorification is now also involved the fact that he can pour out the spirit on his people, on his disciples, this is really what's on his mind it's not something for himself, I want some glory no, he's asking on the behalf of us we see that just a little later in the chapter uh, just drop down to verse 22 and we see what he does with that glory he anticipates the father's answer and he says in verse 22 and the glory which thou, hast, which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one so the glory that Christ would receive he, he anticipates here the father's answer this is, uh, he's speaking this in faith here, he's asking the father to glorify him, and he says the glory that he will be glorified with, he doesn't keep to himself, he shares and he shares it in order for something to happen, in order for what to happen last part of the verse it says the glory you've given I've given them that what, that they may be one, even as we are one How are the Father and the Son one? Yeah? In spirit, as you said. And that's how we become one. We read the verse earlier as well. He that is joined unto the Lord is one. Spirit. And so this is uh, what Christ is talking about when he talks about glory. This is what he has on his mind. is the spirit that will bring everyone into unity. The same unity that he and the Father share. And that spirit could not come until Christ was glorified. So even though there were people in the Old Testament who had the Holy Spirit and had these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, Christ was talking about a totally new level that was never seen before. Because for the first time ever, brothers and sisters, the Son of God came and took on human nature. When he was born... As a baby in Bethlehem. This had never happened before. And he lived a brand new life. A life that committed how many sins? Mm-hmm. Did anyone ever live such a life before? Mm-hmm. Not a single sin committed. He defeated the devil every single time. Every single temptation. With a 100% track record. Right? Christ lived a totally victorious life as a human being. We don't want to miss that. That's, that's the key. And in this life, as he met the devil, and as he met with temptations and trials, he obtained victory after victory after victory. And all these victories, as he progressed in his life experience, they became part of his life experience right did Christ ever meet temptation before he became a man okay we have some yes and we have some no and generally everybody's quiet so just see what the preacher says (laughs) just wait for him to say the next bit huh? When Christ, Christ as the Son of God, before he became a man. I want you to think about it. Did he, did he experience temptations like we do? Yes. yes. Okay, I'll give you a verse to think about. The Bible says, God cannot be tempted, right? And Christ was the express image of? Of God. So in order for Christ to actually meet and face temptations, he had to be a man, he had to take on humanity. And so, as as God, as the divine son of God, the the devil, there's no temptation. What, he's going to look at food and get hungry? Or is he going to get tired or anything of the sort? Do you know what I mean? He took on humanity in order to experience what we go through for himself personally. And in so doing, and in defeating Satan, where we constantly fail, he actually obtained a certain experience that enriched his life as a man. But he wasn't only a man, of course, because he was divine at the same time. So we have this brand new person, so to speak, this divine human who lives this life of perfect obedience to God and accomplishes all these victories over Satan. And this life now is enriched with all these victories. And here is Christ just before he leaves his disciples and he tells them, listen, I need to go to my father. Because if I don't go to my father, I will not be able to give you this spirit or this life. And what's different about it now is now it has all the added benefits of what I have accomplished for you on earth. I know how to meet Satan in every single temptation and defeat him every time. And I need to go to the Father so that life can be glorified, so I can be glorified. And then as soon as I do that, I'm going to send you that spirit. I'm going to send you that life. And so that's why John says in John 7, This spirit that Jesus was talking about was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. You with me so far? And so there was the spirit of God operating in the Old Testament. But now the life experience of Christ, this precious experience that he obtained for us. His plan and desire is to give to us, not to take it to heaven and then send us someone else who was never a human, who was never tempted like us to be our helper. You with me? Yes. This is the problem when we separate the spirit from Christ. We make it into a being that has no human experience, no experience with temptation, no idea about what it's like to be tempted as a human being. And this is supposed to be our helper to overcome sin. This is a bankrupt theology, brothers and sisters. How can you, have, how can you get help to overcome sin with someone who has never tempted, doesn't know what it's like to be a man? And here is Christ who lived for us in his life, and he took it to heaven, and that's it. See you later. We have someone else. Totally useless. Christ's desire is to give us what he obtained for us on earth. And that's why it was uppermost on his mind. So he tells his disciples, listen, I need to go away. You don't understand what I'm telling you. You're getting sad now that I'm going. You don't understand. I need to go away. If I don't go away, you're not going to get this life. What I just accomplished for you here, You're not going to get it. And so before he goes to heaven, he prays to his father. He says, Father, I've finished the work you've given me to do. Now glorify me. The glorification of Christ is the father's stamp of approval. That the life that Christ accomplished here on earth is successful. is satisfactory and meets with the standard of God. And in that approval, because he receives that approval as a man. As the second Adam. We read, you know, he's the second Adam, the Lord from heaven. And as a man, because he receives that as the second Adam, he now can give that to all his spiritual children. Just like we receive life from the first Adam, which is a dying life. We can receive a new life from the second Adam. This new life comes to us, brothers and sisters, with this beautiful, rich experience of Christ as a man. You with me so far? I really wanted to make it clear because we want to see the contrast. This is why the devil has a deception that is designed to rob us from appreciating that and to give us this bankruptcy or this empty hollow idea that has done no one any good. It has caused so much confusion and that's why we read earlier why the churches are weak and sickly and ready to die. It is because the devil has been successful in shutting Jesus from our view as the comforter one time I was talking to a brother and I said we're discussing this issue and I said to him you know Christ where is Christ now he says well Christ is now our our high priest in heaven in the sanctuary says great but uh, who's who's the comforter who's helping us overcome sin he says no well Christ is up there he can't be down here so he sends someone else God the Holy Spirit this is really sad that Christ who went through all that for us, leaves with all that precious experience and then sends someone else. Why didn't he send someone else to begin with? Right? Why go through all this trouble and heartache and trial and 33 years of of misery, living as a man and temptation day in and day out and a man of sorrows and acquaintance. Why go through all of that to leave and then send someone else? Why didn't he send someone else to begin with? But sometimes we don't really think through some of the things that we believe, right? And so I'm challenging your thinking a little bit. I know it's a bit dangerous, uh, Sabbath afternoon after lunch. But just uh, bear with me, huh? Put the cassava to one side and just try and <laughs> wake up the brain cells and just think about what we, what we believe, right, brothers and sisters? We have to examine on a practical level. what we Many times we believe ideas about God and they're all nice sounding theories. And we fight again, you know, and defend them solidly and all this. But practically, what does it really mean practically today in our experience, in our walk? This is where we need to examine our beliefs. And so this life, like we said, had never been lived before. That's why you could say it's a brand new person. This divine human person. Christ accomplished that. And he promises to send this spirit. John chapter 20. Resurrection morning, let's go back there, John 20 and verse 17. John chapter 20 and verse 17. And here we see Christ speaking to Mary. This is resurrection morning, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 17 Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I send unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. What did Jesus mean here when he told Mary, touch me now? This is a very misunderstood verse. Most people think, you know, Jesus is saying to Mary, don't, don't touch me. She was not allowed to touch him. But this, this, she, of course she was allowed to touch him. In another passage we find that the Marys came and they said they held his, it says they held his feet and they worshiped him. There was nothing wrong with touching Jesus. It wasn't, you know, Jesus told Thomas, what, come, put your finger here and feel me and touch me and see that I'm here. So what does Christ mean when he says, don't touch me? The word touch me, there actually means don't cling unto me. Don't detain me. Don't hold on. Some other Bible translations will actually say that. Don't cling unto me for the purpose of detaining me. In other words, he says, I am in a big hurry to go somewhere. So Mary, now that you've seen me, you know I'm alive. She was crying, of course, looking for him. She couldn't find him anywhere. You know, the the grave was empty. And Christ actually waited and delayed his ascent to the Father in order to comfort the heart of Mary for one person. Heaven was waiting for him and angels and all kinds of things. And there's a schedule, there's a plan of salvation going, you know, and, and... It doesn't run on Fiji time or, you know, it it runs on, you you know what I mean? The Bible talks about. God in the fullness of time. We have a lot of meetings in the islands, so I'm very familiar with with Fiji time. But you know what I mean? Adventist time is the same thing. Don't, don't stress. I'm just speaking. I'm not just speaking on one group of people. But we come to meetings late and, and this and we talk about trying to come. Brother Sarri says encourages us. Says, you know, you go to work on time, but come to the meeting on time. We try and, and get to, to things on time. God doesn't have this problem, God runs. On time. Prophecy. We can trust prophecy. That's the whole point of trusting prophecy. If God was to just do that, nothing could be trusted. So here is the program of the plan of salvation. Christ is about to go, but he waits in order to comfort the heart of poor Mary. So she sees him. She knows it's him. She's holding on, doesn't want to let go. So he tells Mary, I have to go now. So don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. And don't detain me. I'm going to my father. I want you to go and tell my disciples that that's where I'm going. His point here was he was trying to remind his disciples of what he was, what he had promised them. Remember, he says, if I go, then I will send this spirit. And so Christ was eager to go to his father because in going to his father as a human being with this life that he lived on earth and receiving the approval Of the Father, he can then share that same life with all his followers and with all his believers. So what day of the week was this event here? Sunday morning, right? So he goes on Sunday morning and he goes up to the Father. This is not the ascension of Christ because we're going to come to that a little later. This is not fully the ascension of Christ, but he goes that day. And he comes back, he receives, he receives something from the Father. But let's go to John chapter 20, because this is a little later, in the same day. Okay, John chapter 20, we're still there. I lost my page here, let me just find it. John chapter 20. We just read verse 17, right? Look at verse 19. Then the same day, right? So what day is this? Sunday. Sunday. At evening, being the first day of the week, here it is, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Verse 20. And when he had said this, sorry, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were his disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And there was no problem if they wanted to touch him, by the way. So that helps us understand what he said to Mary. Then he says, verse 21, then said Jesus unto them again, peace be unto you, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, as it says in King James. So your Christ breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Between the morning and the evening, Christ had gone up to heaven and come back down. And he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. But Christ was not yet glorified. And so what he was doing here, he was basically giving them a preview of what was to come. This was not the full outpouring of the Spirit that he was referring to. This was kind of like a a down payment or a preview of what was to come. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Illustrating the point that the Holy Spirit comes from where? From him. This is very significant, brothers and sisters. When Christ, at one other time, he breathed into someone the Holy Spirit and that someone became a living soul. Remember who that was? It was Adam. And that spirit also came from? Christ. Everything comes from God through Christ, of course. So there's a connection there. Here Christ is breathing life again into the race of Adam. This is what this signifies. The life that Adam lost through the fall Christ came to restore. In order to do that again, he had to be a man. He had to live life as a man. He succeeded as a man. And now he comes and he breathes life again into Adam, being the human race. This is a direct parallel to what happened in Genesis. It says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Life. That's what spirit means. It means life. But like I said, this was just a sample. It wasn't really the full pouring, outpouring yet. The sacrifice and life of Christ was accepted, but he was not yet glorified. We know that because a little later we see Christ saying something about that. Let's go to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. We're just doing a little Bible study here. Luke 24. Verse 49. Luke 24. Actually, let's not read from verse forty-nine. Let's read the. No idea. Let's let's read 49, 49 and fifty. Okay, are we there? And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. When was this? What day was the? What time period in in in? Okay it's not the same Sunday this is a good while after because look at the next verse and he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them and it came to pass while he blessed them he was parted from them and carried up into heaven this is his ascension we're going to see it again in the book of Acts but before we go into that when he talks here about the promise of the father what's he talking about? He's telling them, listen, wait in Jerusalem in verse 49. He says, I'm going to send you the promise of the father, but wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Wait, he's saying, wait for something to come. It's not here yet. Wait for it. And you need to wait for it in Jerusalem. Let's go to the same author in the book of Acts. He continues the story and picks up where he left off. Acts chapter one. Luke again, writing here in Acts chapter one, he gives us a bit more detail. And the timing of this event Luke chapter uh, sorry Acts chapter 1 verse four and five well well let's read, from, let's read from from verse three just so we can get the timing of when this happened because Christ rose on Sunday correct and he spoke to the disciples that evening on Sunday but now is a different Event. Verse 3 tells us, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for how long? For forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but he shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. That's the promise of the Father. That's the outpouring of the Spirit that he was talking about. He says, unless I go, this will not be given or this will not be sent. So what day is this? This is day number 40 after the resurrection. So Christ rises on Sunday. He goes up quickly to heaven that Sunday, comes back, comforts his disciples. I'm still alive. And Thomas a week later and all that. And he stays with his disciples for 40 days. Speaking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. I really wish we had some record of all these discussions and conversations. We don't. But anyway, we have here on day 40, he's about to leave. And he tells them, listen, just wait a little bit in Jerusalem. Because remember this promise of the father that I told you about? In a few days, you're going to get it. In a few days. So in other words, in a few days, because Christ then left and went up to heaven, that's when the angel said, why are you standing looking up to heaven? This same Jesus that went will come back. We're familiar with that? That's that time. Because he went up to heaven and he knew that in a few days, he would be glorified. And that's why he told the disciples, listen, just for a few more days, then the promise of the Father is going to come. So we need to see how this official acceptance of the Father was demonstrated, how and when Christ was actually glorified. Now we'll find a record of that in Hebrews chapter 1. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And here the scripture tells us, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Here the Father is speaking to the son. and he's speaking to the son, he anoints him with this oil of gladness. What does that signify? Okay? Yes, glorification. And the oil uh, usually the oil in scripture is symbolic of what? The spirit. So Christ is anointed with this oil of gladness. And what is the reason that he is anointed? Because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. When did Christ demonstrate a love for righteousness and hatred for iniquity? All his life on earth. In other words, this event here is just after Christ went back to heaven. And now the father tells him, because you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You are now going to be anointed. I'm anointing you with the oil of gladness. Well, sisters. this was the official ceremony of the glorification of Christ. Where he was actually inaugurated as the high priest of his people. The whole, the whole book of Hebrews deals with Christ as the high priest. That's his priestly ministry. That's the book that expands on his priestly ministry. So the beginning of the book actually starts with the anointing of Christ as the high priest of his people. And this was the glorification of Christ. He's anointed with oil of gladness above his fellows. And uh, we, we see the type for this in the Old Testament when Moses anointed Aaron to be the high priest. He anointed him with oil. And when he anointed him with oil, uh, the Bible talks about uh, the oil running down Aaron's garments. Uh, we're going to come to that verse in a minute. But this was a type for when Christ would be anointed as a high priest. But before Christ could be high priest, he had to be a man. And so he goes to heaven as a man. He has successfully defeated Satan. He has this rich experience in his life. And the Father before all of heaven, the whole universe, accepts that and anoints him as the high priest of his people. And as soon as that happened in heaven, something very significant happened on earth. The promise of the Father, the promise that Jesus gave his disciples was fulfilled straight away. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2. Of course, you know what event that is. It is the day of? Day of Pentecost. So now you know what was happening in heaven on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't... An event that just happened on earth. Something was happening in heaven on the day of Pentecost. It was the glorification of Christ. Because he said, except I go, I will not send him. But if he goes and he's glorified, then he will send him. So all we have to do is find where was the spirit sent. Then immediately know Christ has been glorified. The two are linked. Acts chapter 2, we're going. Verse 32 and 33. The disciples understood that. Acts chapter 2, so, yeah, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, it says, Peter's preaching, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. What's Peter telling the people? He says, listen. What you're seeing here is evidence that this Jesus we're telling you about is exalted in heaven. And he received the promise of the Spirit. And who poured out the Spirit? According to this verse. It was Jesus. He says he received of the Father the promise of the Spirit. He hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. This was Christ sending the Spirit. Or in other words, what was he sending? His very own life now enriched with all his experience coming with power upon his people. And that power was visible on the day of Pentecost. And that's why in John it says, listen, this spirit was not yet given. This measure, this fullness, this level of outpouring was not yet given because Christ had not yet come, as, as, had not yet finished living as a man and had not yet been glorified. But now he has been. And so this victorious divine human life is what helps us and comforts us and enables us to have victory. As a matter of fact, this is actually the life that makes us righteous. We receive this life or we receive this spirit by keeping the Sabbath, right? By keeping the Ten Commandments, right? How do we receive this life? By It's called righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith, brothers and sisters, is the life of Christ in you. The righteous, victorious life of Christ in you. It's not where you have to go and try and imitate what Christ accomplished when he was here on earth. Too many of us have a very sad experience as Christian believers trying to copy what Christ accomplished on earth. You know what I'm talking about? The reason that Christ accomplished it is because you and I have no hope of doing it. That's why he had to come and do it himself. And then he gives us the finished package. He gives us his life. That is the only life that is acceptable to God. Your life and my life are not worth anything. The only righteous life that God can accept is the life of his son. So all you have to do is make sure that you have the life of the son. It's called the Holy Spirit, that's a righteous life. And that's why it's called righteousness by faith. You understand now the impact and the significance of correctly understanding the identity of the spirit and how misunderstanding that totally destroys the practical aspects of righteousness by faith. We talk a lot about righteousness by faith. I want to tell you something. Not everybody who says they believe in righteousness by faith really believes or experiences righteousness by faith. It's easy, it's easy to say. But how how does it look like in our actual experience? Do we really have the life of Christ in us? Most people think that they have someone else trying to help them to imitate what Christ accomplished on earth. If you're on that journey, I wish you the best of luck. It is a miserable experience. Because you try and achieve victories over sin, Don't you know Christ obtained the victory? So he gives you the victory, the done deal. He didn't. He never said, go and try and overcome the devil. He says, I have overcome the world. My peace I leave with you. That's his spirit. That's him dwelling in us. And he manifests. He lives out the same life that he lived on earth. He lives it out in his disciples. If you have that, brothers and sisters, God accepts you. If you don't have that, Doesn't matter how many vegetarian meals you eat. Doesn't matter how many Sabbaths you keep. Doesn't matter whatever you do. Trying to earn and gain God's acceptance. That's not going to happen. You know what I'm talking about. And the reason why we're weak, brothers and sisters, is that Satan has stolen from us our comforter, Jesus, and given us someone else in his place. And the sad thing is you try and pinpoint that to people and people say, oh, be careful, these people have gone haywire. Oh, look, they believe something different now. Oh, this is a bit dangerous. Satan stole Jesus, brothers and sisters, from the Adventist church and gave us someone else in his place. And like we saw earlier today, we never used to believe this as a church. Something happened over the years and a change has come about. And the change has been so dramatic and has taken such a strong hold that, you know, we have to hold camp, you know, in different place. We can't go and say this in church because people are like, oh, no, no, this is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous to say that it's Christ who lives in us, that it is his righteous life that alone can make us perfect before God. This is the practical aspect of what we're talking about. So now it's no longer just a theory. This is not another alternate view of God. Now it makes very practical uh, sense and now it makes very big a very big difference how do you believe in righteousness by faith if the person we have is different to christ then how is that righteousness by faith if christ took his life to heaven and gives us someone else then the whole plan of salvation this all of a sudden seems meaningless that's his work as our high priest right now, brothers and sisters. His work as our high priest. He is the one mediator between God and man. And here's here is a, here's a fact. He doesn't have any assistance. He doesn't have any helpers. Christ is our only mediator. He's mediating in the sanctuary above, in person, in flesh. And he, the same one, is mediating in our hearts by his spirit or by his life. And that's how he connects the two together. He is the only mediator. That's why he told his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Do you believe what Jesus said? I do. That's what righteousness by faith is all about, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Acts 3. Not far, just another verse next to it. How's our time? Acts chapter three, verse 13. Acts chapter three, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Christ has been glorified. And Christ has been glorified as a man. And as a representative for mankind. And the life that he ha- obtained. And the life that is being glorified. Is a human life that he lived on earth. That's the life that makes us righteous. This is really the, the, the basics of righteousness by faith. what we're talking about here. Just breaking it down a little bit. And just wanting it to, to make sense. It's really truly beautiful brothers and sisters. You know it's, it's almost too good to be true. Maybe that's why a lot of people don't believe it. It's beautiful, it's simple, and it's profound. Make no mistake about it. The only life that is acceptable with God is the life of His Son. That's the only life. If you do not have that, you do not have eternal life. That's it. This, This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. And if you have that, you're set. Doesn't matter if you don't know all the details of the 2300 prophecy, or you don't know all the Bible verses. If you have the life of the Son, you're set. That's why the Bible says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's it. That's what the glorification of Christ is all about. And so Christ now is on the right hand of God and what he said in his prayer. He says, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them. He has fulfilled that. He fulfilled that on the day of Pentecost. And that glory is still here. That glory is that glorified life of the Son. That's why today, brothers and sisters, after the cross, we have this fuller measure of the Spirit that before the cross, they looked forward to and did not yet have. We don't realize what privilege it is to be living in this time of earth's history, on this side of the cross. Christ is now our high priest and he ministers this life To us. Let's look at uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. There's a few verses here, but I don't want to. John chapter 1. How's our time here? Yeah, our time's up. Now we'll look at verse 12. John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believing on his name, receiving him, brings us into the family of God. We become sons of God. We become members of the same family. He is our head. We are his members. And as such, we share the same life. His life becomes our life. That's what the Bible refers to as the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. It's really not that hard to understand. <laughs> it's not rocket science. You don't need to have a theology degree or have a PhD to understand. It, it, God set us up. You know, in our, we know all this. You know, the, the, every family here has the same life. The life that was given to the parents is passed on to the children, and so on and so forth. That's an illustration. Of how things are spiritually. That's why the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. I think we read that earlier. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. When we receive him, we become sons of God. We are joined unto him. We become one spirit. We share the same life. Hallelujah. If we really realize and understood that that means, well, to have the life of the Son of God dwelling in us. That's what the whole gospel is about. That's why Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, not someone else, right? But our theology at church sometimes forces us to read the words of Scripture and understand, oh, but that's someone else. We are enslaved to tradition that has stolen Jesus from us and given us someone else in his place. It doesn't matter who it is. If you have anyone else instead of Christ, you're on the wrong boat. It doesn't matter how many divine attributes you give him. It doesn't matter if you call him God. It doesn't matter if it is anyone other than Christ. You're in serious trouble. Galatians chapter four, amen. Galatians chapter four and verse six. Galatians chapter four and verse six. Galatians four, verse six. And because ye are sons, so when we receive the, when we receive Christ, we become sons. Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." God the father now has a legitimate right to extend to you and me the life of his son. That's how we are adopted into the family of God. That life of the son is the spirit that Jesus promised. The father gives us that. It's the spirit of his son. That's how we cry, Abba, father. We have the life of his son. You know what that means, brothers and sisters? God looks on us. As he looks on his son. God loves us as he loves his son. God treats us as he treats his only begotten son. We really do not fully comprehend the privilege that we have. What Christ has accomplished for us in the plan of salvation. We really don't get it. Because if we did, we would be very different. But we are trying to get it. We're working on this together. I'm not standing here saying I got it and you didn't yet. We're all trying to get it. We're working on this together. But you know what I'm talking about brothers and sisters? The day of Pentecost is something that we read about in the scripture. But God's plan is not just for us to read about it in the scripture. He wants us to experience what it is like to really have the life of his son. As we shall see. And so this is what righteousness by faith is all about partaking of the life of the Son. That's why, as I said, and I'll just say it again, a false understanding of the Holy Spirit totally destroys everything that I'm talking about, to you about here. It destroys all these things in the Scripture. When you, when you fall for the idea that the Spirit is another person other than Christ, all this doesn't make any sense. And what doesn't make sense to people, usually people are afraid of. And they try and attack. Christ is that spirit. As we read, we don't have to go there again, but we read in Second Corinthians, it says, The Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Do you have liberty? You know, only the Son can make you free. No one else can make you free. That's if you want to be free indeed. If you want to be free, uh, as in make believe, free... Thinking you're free, but you're not, you can settle for someone else. Second Corinthians 3:17. That one is is the Lord is that spirit. That's how Jesus is the minister of the heavenly sanctuary, and he is the minister of the church on earth. That's what the work of a high priest is all about, brothers and sisters. Christ, our high priest. His work is not just the investigative judgment. He's not just doing a work far away from us, light years away, and, and we have someone else. This is the problem. So, you know, we have adopted ideas that put Christ so far away from us. He's He's up there, you know, through Orion, light years away, up in the sanctuary working for you and me. Great news, excellent. How does that practically help me here today when I have to meet Satan, when I haven't run into trouble, when my wife is having a bad day, when your husband's having a bad day? How does that help us here today? Oh, don't worry. He sent you someone else. Who is this someone else? God, the Holy Spirit. Was he a human? No, no, no. Did he get tempted? No, no, no. Well, how is that going to help me? Our theology, brothers and sisters, is out of touch with the reality we have to experience day in and day out. But Christ, the Bible teaches, he's not just working in sanctuary above. He, the same one, is working in our hearts as the great defender against Satan. He is our helper. He is that comforter. He is the one that enables us to overcome. His life in us is what accomplishes that. Uh, So many verses. Last text. We'll make this our last one. Colossians chapter uh, 3. I think you got the point. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll make that our last text. Colossians 3 and verse 4. This is a beautiful promise. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. Here the Bible says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye also Shall you also appear with him in glory? Glory. Amen. When Christ who is our life. Right now Christ is our life. When he appears in the clouds of heaven. If he is your life today. Then you will partake of his full glory. You will appear with him in Glory. glory. You will receive that glory. You will be glorified physically. We have the spiritual component now in the life of Christ. He gave us that on a spiritual level. Where he can live in us. This glorified, risen life of Christ. And so here's the question to you and to me today. Is Christ your life? Literally, not symbolically, not metaphorically, not that way, but meaning someone else. No, is Christ really your life? That's the only preparation you need for the second coming. God's not going to have a quiz of what doctrines you believe before you enter heaven. Okay, God's not going to have, you know, where's your church membership? Oh, you don't have it? You're not coming to... All these things, brothers and sisters, that we consciously and subconsciously believe as requirements that help us somehow, recommend us somehow in the sight of God, they are totally worthless. The only thing is the life of the Son. Is Christ your life? You're ready for Him to come. If He's not your life... You're not ready for him to come. That's what it says here, right? Paul is encouraging the believer. He says, Listen, when Christ, who is our life, this Christ who is living in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's our life. When he appears, you will appear with him in glory. And that's what I want to tell you as well today. If he is your life indeed, we will. You will appear with him in, in glory. So, brothers and sisters, I'll close with that. Let us remember what we have in Christ. And let us truly believe. In that righteous life, it is ours by faith. You don't have to go climb a mountain. You don't have to exert great effort. All you have to do is believe on the Son. If you believe on the Son, He gives you His righteous life. And God says, I don't require anything more. Now just live that life day in and day out. That's the gospel. So understanding the truth about the Father and the Son and the Spirit actually enhances our understanding of the gospel and righteousness by faith. I pray that it made sense to you. If it did, then praise the Lord. That's an answer to prayer. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.